this is my perspective that you must be an authority and very good at what you do if you're on this page. And I think I can do it better. Why don't I optimize my site? And so I did. And within three months, I started getting leads. And within six months, so that was a full nine months after I had quit my job and started going freelance, I was up to $10,000 months already from those leads kind of building up, people converting into clients, and then you know the revenue from those projects closing up. And then Within a full 12 months, I was at $15,000 months. Welcome to the Profitable Graphic Designer Podcast. I'm Katie Sundell, brand strategist, designer, and the CEO of a successful six-figure design agency. I teach brand, graphic, and web designers how to get more clients, increase their pricing, and build profitable design businesses in a simple and sustainable way. We have online programs, courses, and templates that you can use, as well as our coaching and mastermind high-touch experience for creatives. You can find out more about starting and growing your design business at AventiveAcademy.com. But until then, grab a cup of coffee and join me in today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we have a guest. Her name is Adrienne Johnston, and we'll be talking about making $20,000 per month while working only 20 to 30 hours per week. She is a graphic designer with a very interesting niche, something that you may have never heard of, or maybe you know that it is possible, but not sure how to make a living off of it or find clients. Well, without me talking too much about it now, I will just welcome my guest and ask Adrian to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Adrian Johnston, and I am a presentation designer. I currently live in Seattle, Washington, and have been doing presentation design and graphic design for about six years now as a freelancer. That is amazing. How did you start? Yeah, I got started about six years ago, six years ago, coming up in January, I quit my full-time job. I just really wasn't happy in corporate anymore. And I honestly had no idea what I was going to do. I got onto Upwork trying to figure out how was I going to make this work (laughs) after having quit my job. And I was doing everything under the sun, you know, Shopify sites and websites and changing fabric swatches and Photoshop. I mean, you name it, I was trying to do it. And it just wasn't scalable. And so within a couple of months, I realized like I was, I had really happy clients and I was getting tons of work, but I was working probably 80 hours a week and making about $5,000 a month, which maybe isn't terrible on a perk, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. And so I just kind of like looked across the board of what was working really well and what wasn't. And what was really interesting is that presentations in particular were doing well for me. They weren't competitive on Upwork. So I was winning like half of the bids that I was putting in, which for anybody who's been on Upwork to win half of the bids is a really high (laughs) win rate on those. And then they paid really well relative to like, I was making as much on a PowerPoint that would take me a few hours as I would to do a website that would take days or weeks. 
And so when you were kind of looking at that math, all of it really made sense to figure out why does this work? And it worked for me because I had been in corporate for so long. I'd been using PowerPoint. It was so accessible. I'd been using PowerPoint actually longer than I had been using Photoshop and InDesign. And I'm a self-taught designer. So I, you know, learned Photoshop as a hobby in the early 2000s, making Christmas ornaments, I remember, and doing like marketing stuff for work. But it was always as a fun hobby. And PowerPoint was the thing I had to use for work. And so once you start learning the skills and then you're like, well, this is the tool that I have that's so easy and on all my computers, then I'll just use that, which I know there are so many people cringing and just like getting the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. (laughs) It's not a design tool. It's not, but it's actually a really robust tool. And I think, you know, it gets PowerPoint gets such a bad reputation because, you know, we think of like the death by PowerPoint, like the bulleted slides where people have their like their watermarked images that they grab from the Internet. But like there's some really cool things you can do on PowerPoint and the animations and you can make some really like interactive, cool, cool slides. You see, I didn't even know you can do animations or anything like that. I I do imagine PowerPoint a little bit above what you just mentioned, but still, I don't see it as as creative as maybe like Illustrator. But again, I don't know much about it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's super cool. It's it does have some vectors, but I mean, it's not as great as Illustrator from a vector perspective. I, I, the thing I say about it is it's really broad, so like it has a lot of like photo editing, but it's not as great as Photoshop, right, for that. So you want to go edit if you need to do detailed work, you want to do that in Photoshop. If you want to do detailed vector work, you need to do it in Photoshop and Illustrator. But you can pull all of those things in then and compile them in a way that your clients can use them. They can change the colors, they can edit their own text. And they can't do that with the Adobe Suite, right? They don't know how to use the tool. Most of them don't have it because they don't have a license. And so then they become dependent upon you. And I think, you know, as design expectations have changed over the years. I mean, even we give Canva a hard time too, but right, like it is changing the expectations of people, social media, things are more beautiful than they've ever been. Even with bad drivers behind the wheel, it still just looks better than it did 20, 30 years ago. And so I think that, you know, clients want that flexibility to be able to update their content themselves, especially with living, breathing documents, like their pitch decks and their sales decks where they're updating like quarterly reports and things like that. And they don't want to be hamstrung to a designer. But the interesting thing is they're also willing to make an investment in this report now because they can use it over and over. And so I'll spend $3,000 to make this report because now I can go and update it every quarter myself. Or if I need to add something new, I'll ask you to, you know, add these new five new pages this quarter. And so it it's a long-term investment as opposed to kind of a one-off. Yeah, and I can totally see how clients see presentations as an investment always. It's never, it's almost never seen as an expense because they have to invest in that presentation. Either they're presenting maybe to an investor if they want to pitch something, maybe they have a webinar, maybe they have, you know, you, you know, what well, yeah. you probably have a lot more examples, but it's always an investment. They're investing their money instead of time. And also they can't do it as well as a graphic designer who specializes in that. But can you tell me a little bit about your background, like your corporate job? What kind of job did you have and how did you even decide to become a graphic designer? Yeah, so I have kind of like a, a meandering background, I like to say, and it all, it did all get me here, So, but it sounds crazy. I majored in chemistry in undergrad. I thought I was going to be a doctor. 
So I'm very analytical person, which I think is part of the appeal of PowerPoint too, right? Especially when you think of the the data aspects of PowerPoint and even like the technical aspects of kind of structuring a PowerPoint, which I think is part of what frustrates a lot of designers is like, I don't know how it works, but once you understand it, it does all make sense. It's, it's more like InDesign really. And from there, I was working at Starbucks trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And so from there is really where I started to get into the marketing aspect. We were doing lots of events and creating lots of flyers and doing those kinds of things in our store. And then I went to work for a healthcare startup and was doing training for them. And it was just a function of being in startups. You literally have money for nothing, right? Like your every dollar is so precious. And so every time we needed something, I was like, oh, I'll go do that. Like, I'll go figure that out. I don't care. I was 25 and had nothing better to do with my time than figure out Photoshop and how to do videos and all kinds of things. And I just really enjoyed it. And it would still take me another 10 years to realize that maybe I should be doing that instead of <laughs> all this other stuff. And so, yeah, I just kept kind of elevating in operations and marketing roles before I pivoted. And I would say it was really just a matter of I kept taking on those projects. They were partially within my role, but I would say they were never they were probably always something that I should have been outsourcing or hiring someone else to do, even if it was a freelancer. Based on my kind of role and position in the organization, I probably should not have been doing it, but I enjoyed it. And things always turned out really well. And I remember when I realized I wanted to do something else, somebody said, have you ever thought about doing that? Like, these videos look great. Like, all of these, like, designs, email, it was email marketing stuff that we did, like, flyers, everything always looks great. Like, why haven't you ever thought about that? And it had just, because of that background in science, I think of myself as an analytical and data person. I, I still struggle to call myself a creative, but my approach to it is even, I would say, very structured and like there's a process driven nature to it where I think a lot of creatives are kind of take a more creative approach. And I'm like, what works and what doesn't work? And like, it's, there's a process, you know, it's very structured. Yeah. And how did you decide to even try to, you know, be on Upwork? Um, I had heard about it on some podcasts. Whose podcast? I don't know that I can remember the podcast off the top of my head, but at the time I knew I was unhappy in my job and I had started listening to like podcasts like The Side Hustle Show and John Lee Dumas's Entrepreneurs on Fire and was really just trying to figure out like, what are my options? Like, I knew that I wanted to have more flexibility to do what I wanted to do. I knew that I I felt like I contributed a lot more than my paycheck demonstrated. I didn't feel valued in the organizations that I was in. And like that was never really aligned to the effort and value that I was bringing. And I thought, how do I right side that for myself? How do I take more control of that? And so for a few years, I had known that I kind of wanted to do something on my own. I think for me, there was a big, I always say there's kind of like this, um, the pain of being unhappy has to kind of start to outweigh the scariness of the unknown. And I was reaching that tipping point where it, it didn't matter anymore. I was so unhappy and I was recognizing that unhappiness and I wasn't going to be able to fix it without just jumping into the unknown and figuring it out. And I was getting more and more confident in my ability to do that. And I was hearing stories of people getting on Fiverr and making $100,000 a year and people getting on Upwork. And I think that was a thing too. Like I was kind of advanced enough in the organization. I was making over six figures. And so the idea of, you, know, you look at the data on graphic designers, especially freelance graphic designers, and it's, you know, 
30, $40,000 a year. And you're like, that's a big hit to take financially. And then you layer in the fact, um, I consider myself an introvert and the idea of going out and doing sales. I was just listening to your episode with um, Gigi from One Six Creative and you were talking about going out and networking. And I was like, oh, makes my stomach <laughs> turn <laughs> to hear that <laughs> because never in a, like you have to beat me out of my house, you know, like going yeah. out and talking to strangers I don't know. Oh. Yeah. And you probably heard that I'm totally opposite. Like I was even, I was like nine months pregnant and still going to events and not because I wanted to get more clients or even meet more people, but because I needed to leave the house. I wanted yeah. to be around people. So I was like <laughs> with a huge belly, just like walking around and everybody was like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm just getting out, doing my thing. Yeah. Capturing all the energy. <laughs> yeah, so you then went on Upwork and started applying for different gigs, if that's how uh, you call them. And then you started getting clients and that was back then. Yeah, I'll just go straight into this question now. How do you get clients right now? Yeah, so that kind of three month time frame where we talked about like realizing presentation design was going to be my thing. The other realization I had was I didn't think that Upwork was going to be the place where I could do that. I mean, it was okay, right? But there were a couple of things that I didn't think worked particularly well. I don't, I, um, I'm pretty high anxiety. And so the review process made me feel very stuck in contracts that I felt like maybe weren't a fit for me, that like I felt hamstrung by was the client going to be unhappy? So I got to stay in this. I always felt like I was over delivering for not enough money in order to keep them happy for those reviews. And I also always felt like because of the competition on the platform and all of that, I was a little bit limited in terms of authority and expertise. How much can I ever really command on this platform when you're immediately seeing me charging $150, $200 an hour relative to somebody who's charging $25? Right. Not that there aren't people who don't want the $25 an hour. Right. But there is that like, do that now, just go for somebody at 100. Right. I don't need to hop in the line. So um, part of my assessment at the time was I went and did a Google search looking for what how other presentation designers were marketing their businesses. And so I got to the first page of Google results and I said, wow, these must be like the creme de la creme of presentation designers. And I started getting into the web pages. <laughs> And they were really just SEO over-optimized pages. So at the time, there weren't a lot of people who'd optimize their pages for presentation design. It was, it's a, it's not highly competitive. It was not highly competitive. It's not still not highly competitive, but it's also not super high volume. And that and so, was in 2018, right? Yeah. Okay. And so there were pages there that ranked that didn't have anything to do with presentation design. And I just said, if this is my perspective that you must be an authority and very good at what you do if you're on this page, and I think I can do it better, why don't I optimize my site? And so I did. And within three months, I started getting leads. And within six months, so that was a full nine months after I had quit my job and started going freelance, I was up to $10,000 months already from those leads kind of building up, people converting into clients, and then you know the revenue from those projects closing up. And then Within a full 12 months, I was at $15,000 months. So that, that was, is... I mean, really quick. Like, it's not that quick now. Yes, it's but... Like more competitive, but... 
But now we are getting into SEO and something that I wasn't planning on asking you, but I'm curious because I know that a lot of our listeners are going to be curious about like, okay, she optimized her website. How did she do it? What did she do? So if you could give us a couple of tips and tricks, like what is that that you did to optimize your website? Absolutely. So there are two core pieces of optimizing your website. There's your on-page SEO, which is what do I do to my website itself? And there's your off-page, which is the backlinks from other websites that kind of give you credit, right? Kind of like a thumbs up to Google that your website is legitimate. So for the on-page, you have to go and do research to say, what is a good keyword with high buyer intent? That's the important part. I could go target a term like presentation designer, gets 2,000 searches a month, but it's really broad. And who's actually searching for the term presentation designer is other presentation designers, not buyers. Buyers are searching for the term freelance presentation designer, freelance PowerPoint designer. And actually, if you go search presentation designer or PowerPoint designer, sorry, it's PowerPoint designer, PowerPoint designer, all of the search results are actually for PowerPoint's built-in auto design feature. And so you have to be really careful about what term you're optimizing for because you can accidentally think you're optimizing for one thing. So the best way to do that is to go and actually look at the search results and see who's ranking for something. So if you wanted to go and SEO optimize for a term around brand strategy, you would go and you would pick that term and go and look and see if there are freelance brand strategists or uh, brand strategy agencies that are organically ranking for that term. Or even maybe even running ads for that term would also be a good way, because if they're spending money on it, you've got to assume that they're making money from that term. So that's another good thing to look at. From there, you want to put that keyword on your website. It needs to be in your site title. It needs to be in an H1 tag at the very top of your page. And don't muddy it up with something else, right? Don't do freelance presentation designer and content copywriter. Like, decide what you're going to be and put it on there, but don't be spammy about it either, right? Like you want it to feel natural and organic. So one thing that people will do wrong that worked 10 years ago on SEO, but does not work now is they would just like cover their page and freelance presentation designer everywhere. But now Google will just absolutely penalize you for that stuff. So you don't want your keyword to be more than 2% of the total copy of your page. So one of the little tricks that you can do is you wanna make your page longer so that you can get more keywords in. But you also don't want to make it too like overwhelming for clients. So think about like if there are ways to, if you have like scrolling testimonials, like things like that, where you can add like little keywords in. Like I tag my, if you go and look at my website, I tag my testimonials (laughs) with little project keywords. You can do FAQs. So like I have FAQs, but they're not all there. Like you have to use an expander to expand them. So it's less overwhelming, but gets more copy on the page. You can think about what are those kinds of of things that you can do to keep the user experience really good, but still optimize the page. Because user experience is part of the on-site optimization as well. If what Google cares about is not just the, the fact that you have that keyword, they care about somebody searches for that keyword. They come to your page and is it what they're looking for? Do they submit out a, submit a query and keep looking or do they keep looking? Right. Um, And so that's what enables you to rank and what determines whether you keep ranking um, to some extent. 
Yeah. So, and do you have a niche now when it comes to your clients? Do you work with a certain industry or you get clients all over the place? Presentation design is already such a small niche that I haven't optimized beyond that. I think from an SEO perspective that that would probably be difficult to do. I would probably end up with no traffic or very little. Um, so I've kept it broad for now. I do tend to end up because of my background in sciences data I, and I worked for a financial firm. I tend to end up with a lot of those clients. I'm not sure how much of that is they, I don't market it that way. So I don't know how much is they go see my LinkedIn profile or something else, or it's just those are the people who happen to be looking for presentation designers because their decks are more complicated. But yeah, that's certainly something to consider. And I would, if I was going to be doing that, I would be doing that more from an outreach perspective based on who I was targeting, then I would be more specific. But you certainly can. And that is certainly another way to niche based on what you're doing. Just for me, it didn't make sense to do that. Yes. And I, I can totally see how it can be too narrow. Like if you were to do, you know, you're a presentation designer for a wellness product-based businesses. Nah, it's a little bit too narrow. <laughs> right. But a lot of designers are afraid of niching. And that's why, you know, I ask you that question. And even just being a presentation designer, that is narrow. I mean, it's not too narrow, but it is narrow and you, ha you do have your niche. So I have two questions within that topic. Were you afraid to niche down? And second, how did you transition into having your niche without losing existing clients? Excellent. Yes, I was afraid um, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, there's just a stigma around being a presentation designer. The nasty things people say to me on the internet. I mean, right, you're not a real designer. This PowerPoint's not a real design tool. Like, I mean, it's it's aggressive. And there are probably people that'll listen to the podcast and like, or never listen to this podcast episode because of it. And that's okay. There was that piece. But the other piece was like, is it, is it going to work? Right? Am I going to end up like marketing myself right out of a job? There's not really going to be enough work. The way that I combated that to your second question is I just didn't do it all at one time, right? I didn't let go of anybody I had. I wasn't going to do that. But I was pretty aggressive on I'm not taking on anybody new. Like, I'm really going to commit to this. So I, I was off everything I was doing. Uh, this was interesting. So my revenue for the first three months was three thousand. I'm sorry, five thousand dollars a month. And then it drops down to like two to three thousand dollars a month for four to five months before it had the big upswing because I said, I am only going to work on presentation design from for new clients and I'm only doing it for, this was not a great idea, but for a hundred dollars an hour. And I, any other time that I have available. So if I'm not working on that, I'm working on my website, I'm optimizing it, I'm doing blog posts, I'm everything. Like, I am making myself look like more of an expert in order to command these rates and do a better job. So I had that flexibility because my husband had a full-time job that could support us. If that was not the case, I don't think I would have been quite as structured as all of that, but I knew it was an investment that I could afford to make. And I think for a lot of people who worry about niching, I think that's the big thing is it feels so cold turkey, like black and white. And the reality is that there does need, for most people, there needs to be some type of gray transition area of, and you just have to figure out what that looks like, is that I'm going to continue to service these people while updating my marketing for the new people. 
if they send referrals, am I taking those on? And what what's my tipping point where I say I can't take those anymore because these people are making enough money now or I feel like there's enough confidence. Um, but it's it's tough to manage because you have to figure out at what point am I preventing myself from taking on those new clients with these old ones, right? At what point am I really holding myself back in this old niche or in this broader niche and service offering and limiting my revenue and limiting, limiting my opportunity and working too much out of fear, right? And that was where I was. I was just like, I, I knew that I could do the general thing and I knew I could work a lot of hours and make very little money. So I was like, what do I have to lose? Yes. And you mentioned hourly pricing. Do you still work per hour or how do you price something like a presentation? Yeah, I the hourly thing in hindsight was such a stupid thing. I don't recommend it to anyone anymore and I very rarely do it. I got there because that's how much I effectively wanted to make an hour. The reality that we know over time is at some point, I am faster and better and we're charging an hourly rate. I'm making less and less. We're having to do more and more work and it doesn't make any sense. And so I would say it was probably towards the end of that year. I had two problems with the hourly. One, it was the the issue of as I'm getting faster and faster, I have to get more and more work in order to have enough work. And then two, there did just seem to be some resistance resistance from clients, particularly those who weren't making at least $100 an hour, where they would start comparing, I felt like, comparing what they make to what I make just as a designer. And there was some hesitation there on moving forward. So instead, I went to project-based. And I started just, for me, project-based was per slide, nice and simple and easy. And as long as there's not like a process slide with 100 different animations and steps and something like really extreme, I just even it all out because they're easy little divider and cover slides. And then there are, you know, slides with four graphs and 32 lines and <laughs> all kinds of things on them. So I just average it out. And for clients, that generally keeps it really easy. We don't have to scope out every project. I don't have to give them a quote. They can send me something. We all know what the cost is going to be on it. Yes. And, and how um, do you determine the price? In terms of how do you know how many slides are going to be there? If they send you a Word document, how would you know what's that going to look um, like? Most of my clients will break out the content, even if it's a Word document, they'll say like, this mm -hmm. is slide one, slide two, slide three. Yeah, that makes it's, sense. I probably only had three or four clients that have sent me a like a script or something like that and said, hey, can you break this down for us? In which case I'll make a recommendation and say, based on the content, this is what I'm thinking. Let me know if you disagree. Because obviously you always want them to kind of have that flexibility to determine. There are people who like to just click, 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 click every 15 seconds. And then there are people who want one slide up for 20 minutes. You know, everybody's different in that regard. Yes. And you mentioned you get most of your clients, if not all, through Google because they find you, they type into Google search and your website pops up. How about social media? I don't get many clients from social media. I get some from LinkedIn through like referrals and kind of network like that. Agencies will reach out through that platform. I don't end up working with a lot of agencies. I usually work directly with clients. Agencies tend to have 
they kind of end up eating into my margins, right? Because <laughs> they're charging what I charge and then they want to pay me, but they need to keep some. So that doesn't tend to work out well for me. And so I've generally avoided it. They still pay well. It's just not as much as I charge. So, but that tends to be who reaches out to me on LinkedIn. Otherwise, I would say I'm, I haven't been great with social media. I don't enjoy it. I'm an older millennial. I don't know if that's part of it. Like when I was a little bit younger, I think I enjoyed it more for like keeping up with everybody, but now I'm just kind of over it. I do it because I have to do it. Um, I use it more for my course now than for anything, just from a marketing perspective, but I've never had like great engagement on it. Like I don't, maybe it's, I've never figured it out <laughs> and the SEO works so well. And even for my course, SEO works so well that you're just like, I don't know, maybe that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if someone is now like listening to this episode and they're thinking, well, I want to be a presentation designer. What is that that you would suggest to them that they should be doing in order to grow their design business? Would you recommend SEO and really like focusing on that or maybe something else with that? Um, yeah. So I recommend SEO hands down. I think it's a game changer for all businesses. And I'll tell everybody this. People will say, well, if you tell everybody about SEO for presentation designers, isn't gonna isn't it going to get competitive? Yes. But the thing about it is the beauty of it is if you want to go work, and and I say this to all my students, if you want to come work, come take me. Like you can have my spot, right? Like it can be done. Like there's nothing magic about what I've done. I have a time advantage and then I've been there for a while. But you can outrank somebody if you want to. Like it's just a matter of effort. And so I think that would be a beautiful thing to have happen. And I have students who, for different search terms, do outrank me, which I think is amazing. I think it, it's been a game changer for my business. I just had a situation, and here I am, right? Six years in business. And I had, three months ago, I was super busy. I had a new client reach out. They are a really large wealth manager, national. So they serve like billion-dollar clients. And I was like, you know, they've got the budget. This is fine. Like, I don't have time to deal with it. So I just threw out, instead of my normal $75 a slide now, I threw out $100 a slide. And they came back and immediately said, okay. And I went, oh, well, so this is, you know, 30% more than I would normally make for this project. They have given me so much work in the last three months. I mean, they've doubled my revenue in the last three months each month very consistently because they're going through a rebrand and they've just got so much content to get through. It's been a game changer, but I didn't know that right when I responded to the message. Like you just, you get these messages and then you figure out who's who, and like who's going to say yes or no or how it's going to go. And so I recommend it to everybody because I don't have to do anything, right? Even when things are slow during the pandemic, when everybody else was like falling apart and like the world was ending and nobody had any work, everybody was moving their slides. Everybody was suddenly, I have to do webinars, like all this stuff we'd never done before. And I was busy. I had some of my best months during the pandemic. So yeah. I think SEO is huge. That being said, <laughs> the caveat is it does take time to implement and it takes longer now than it did six years ago. So you're looking at somewhere, if you were aggressive, I would guess six to nine months to be ranking. And then we talked about, you know, it's still to take those leads, convert them, get projects, actually see revenue, you're probably looking at 12 to 15 months to really like build up a ten to $15,000 business if you were like really aggressive. So I, that's not a bad thing. In the meantime, my recommendation is generally to subsidize it with LinkedIn direct messaging works really well for our students. So reaching out to people 
It can be corporate executive, corporate executives, people and VP and marketing roles in big organizations who they have design teams, but their design teams don't want to do PowerPoint. And it's a headache you can solve for them, right? Like, hey, I'll freelance for you and do this stuff that your team doesn't want to do. Yeah. And when you get busy with client work, do you outsource to other graphic designers or you do everything by yourself? Like how's your business structured? Are you a solopreneur or you're more an agency owner? I hired someone about a year and a half ago. She started out more as a virtual assistant and now she's doing for about six months. She's been doing presentation design work. And I would say she's really in the last few months kind of hit her stride. And so that's really started to change things as well. So from a structuring standpoint, I guess we're leaning more towards agency. I only, I don't have any desire to be like an agency agency. Like, I don't, have you ever managed people before? Like big teams? I did in the corporate world. And it's hard, you know, like. And I never managed like huge team. It was like four or five people. And I think that that's where I am. That, that's my sweet spot. I don't like working completely by myself. I do like recording podcasts and I do like writing newsletter for, you know, our, um, for Aventive Academy and things like that. But I do like working in teams. So for example, in my branding and design agency, we do have a brand designer, graphic designer, web developer, web designer, content developer, and that's it. And then also when it comes to the Eventive Academy, we do have a graphic designer and I'm now hiring this week, like virtual assistant. And I think that's it. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, you know, like a few people here and there, but I would never want to have not even even 20 is a lot with 20 people. I would already hire like I would hire a manager to manage them because I that's not for me. <laughs> But I also don't want to be completely, completely alone. Yeah. And I think culture is so important. And I've just been in so many companies where even with really incredible leaders who had the best of intentions, things didn't go quite like they thought. You know, it's hard. People are complicated. <laughs> and the more people you have, the more complicated it gets. And so I'm just really cognizant of the fact that like I, I want to be happy and I I want to be in my zone of genius. And I know that if I have a big team, I will worry about them and I will prioritize them over me and they'll be having grand vacations and I'll be working on Saturday nights. Like I just know that that's how it's going to go. And I know that's a me issue, but because I have to like, you know, you learn how to manage yourself over time. And I want it to be a, a good place to work, someplace where I'm happy, somehow place where the people who I work with are really, I'm really highly selective about. They're the right people who they're, they're just with me, right? Like they get it. They care about everything as much as I do. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. But I think that if you're focused on growth, it's not that you can't do both. I don't know that I have the skill to do both, but I think if you're so focused on growth at the expense that you're putting butt in chairs, butts in chairs that, you know, you, you can sometimes sacrifice culture. And I just don't want to end, wake up one day. Did you ever read Tony Shee's book, The Zappos mm -hmm. Found? Yeah. And he talks about like waking up and just being like, what did I do? Like, and I just, I don't ever want to wake up like that and think I built something that I now regret. Like, because <laughs> I've spent yeah. so much time and effort trying to build something I want to be in, you know? Yeah. And so where do you see your business in, let's say, three to five years from now? I don't know. That's a really good I know. Good question. I'm really good. I was just no, I love it. Say, like I'm asking too many and like 
too deep questions. No, <laughs> putting I you on the it. spot. <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's a really good question. I was just saying, I really feel like I should be doing more strategic planning. I always laugh that I've managed to get here without that. <laughs> like, what could I accomplish with some actual planning? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity to hire one or two more people and scale a little bit more. I find, you know, the services side of our business, it just does so well. Like not having an agency, it almost, it's starting to almost feel stupid to not do it. I just, you have to do it the right way. (laughs) And maybe that's it. Like I know so many incredibly talented presentation designers and maybe it's about figuring out a structure that makes sense to have those people, those people that you already know, that you already trust. And that makes financial sense for everybody to build something really incredible. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for, you know, sharing your past and how you started and how you got to where you are at the moment. Is there anything else that you would like to share with graphic brand or web designers, presentation designers who are going to listen to this podcast? I think I would just say, you know, if if you're on the fence about doing something, just get out there and do it. You know, it's scary sometimes and you're going to make mistakes, but through those mistakes, you will learn. But don't shy away from just getting out there and figuring it out because it's you'll can achieve more than you ever thought possible. I love that. I love that. So positive at the end of for the end of this episode. And now tell us where can people find you? Maybe your website or Instagram. Yeah, you can find me at designingandthriving.com and that will take you to all of my free resources and then also to my presentation design website as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on The Profitable Graphic Designer. In addition to this podcast, we have created some amazing online courses to help you set up your business, get more clients, and scale to the income level you desire. If you need help developing your graphic brand or web portfolio so it stands out, if you want to learn how to create proposals new clients will say yes to, if you're still trying to figure out how much to charge for your services, and if becoming the go-to designer for your dream clients is your goal this year, then I invite you to enroll in my signature 12-week program, The Profitable Designer, or one of our other specialized online courses. To learn more about it and get started, visit eventiveacademy.com. See you next time.